Anyway, I've been doing a series on Wednesday nights on heroes of the faith. Over the past several months, we looked at uh, David, we looked at Moses, we looked at uh, Daniel, Joseph, among others. And, uh, uh, you know, we look at these lives, and they're a picture for us of what we can learn from as we look at their entire uh, life of uh, mistakes they made, things they got right, illustrating to us principles that we can follow this side of the cross as New Testament believers. Uh, as it tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction, that through the perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4, very important one. That means the Old Testament is not Death Valley days. Who cares? No, actually, it's there to establish a pattern for us to learn from because the, 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 the thread that goes through the entire Old Testament into the New Testament is always the issue of faith. People that would reach out to God by faith and touch God, and the Lord is a rewarder, as we find out in the New Testament, of those who seek him in faith. Not by their emotions, not by their feelings, not by religious tradition, but by faith. He rewards those who reach out in faith. I don't see it. There's no uh, evidence in the natural. My, my five senses don't tell me, but I believe you, Lord. I believe your word, but greater than what I have experienced by my five senses. Simple, yet profound. And the Lord honors men and women of faith. So tonight we're going to look at another one of these. We looked at a whole bunch too many men. How about a woman for a chance, huh? Ladies, soprano voices, amen. Amen, amen, amen. We're going to look at the, uh, the life of Queen Esther here in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. Another great Old Testament saint to model and a woman of faith. How about that? Yes. Too many men. Praise God. A little background first here about Queen Esther in the book of Esther. Uh, uh, her name means star. It's a Persian name. Her name in Hebrew is Hadassah, and which means myrtle or uh, sweetness. The myrtle plant in Hebrew is a, a, a symbol of beauty. So Esther here starts at around 478 B.C., not that we're counting, and she becomes the queen of the Medo-Persian Empire. They take over Babylon. Babylon is now gone, kaput. It's now Medo-Persia. And uh, the book is written by an unknown Jew, in captivity, we don't know who he is. Uh, some think Ezra wrote this, uh, but it's really unknown if he did. Uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra, Esther, Ezra's different. Esther has always been an odd book to Christians over the centuries. Uh, Martin Luther did not like this book. He was highly hostile to it. His reasons was God's name is never mentioned once. Isn't that odd? Well, Martin Luther thought it was odd. Yet you have heathen names mentioned all the time. He didn't like that. There's no New Testament quotes from the book of Esther in the New Testament. That's an oddity. Uh, and there are no references to prayer whatsoever. No model prayers, no ex examples of prayer. Very odd. So Martin Luther wanted to throw it out of the Bible. Martin lost. He later said, okay, yeah, we'll keep it. Well, Martin questioned everything. Uh, understood. He just questioned everything. Uh, and he wanted to, uh, to prove everything out. And he didn't like the book of James. He didn't like the book of Esther. He didn't like a lot of books. But eventually he agreed, yes, this is canon. This is uh, uh, ordained by the Spirit of God, written by the Holy Spirit through men. So, uh, es so Esther has always been an odd book 
for some reason. I don't know why, but the Christian church over the centuries has had a problem with it. Uh, and this, if you want the odd statistic of the day, uh, chapter 8, verse 9 is the longest verse in the Bible. Chapter 8, verse 9, just in case you cared. All right, let's do a little background here first uh, before we get into what I want to discuss tonight. Uh, Esther, okay, there's King Ahasuerus, and he has, uh, has his big feast, and he orders his queen, Queen Vashti, to appear before him and his guests in her crown and her gala to show her off. She doesn't like that. She says no. He gets ticked off. He gets rid of her. Uh, so he wants to find a new queen So uh, that would be suitable to King Ahasuerus. So he has this decree to go out of all the beautiful virgins uh, in the uh, palace area and the province of the kingdom and that he would find a suitable wife for him. To make a long story short, he finds Esther. Uh, for a wife and a queen, uh, she is an orphaned Jewish child in Persia, and she is raised by Mordecai, who is her cousin. Her cousin is like a Dutch uncle. A, a Dutch uncle tells you what to do for your own good. Okay, that's, that's what he is to her. He's a cousin, and um, he replaces, of course, uh, she replaces uh, Queen Vasti. So as time goes on, uh, shortly after she becomes... Uh, Queen, uh, Mordecai, over here, her, her cousin, overhears a plot to assassinate the king. And he promptly tells Esther. She tells her husband, the king, and that is thwarted. Uh, soon after that, there's another big shot in the kingdom called Haman. And uh, he gets promoted. And he gets promoted so that people have to bow before him in the streets. Well, Mordecai doesn't like that. He won't do it. Mordecai feels, I only bow before God, period. Mordecai would not do that. So obviously, Haman, who was in love with himself and impressed with himself, did not like that Mordecai would not bow to him. So he says, hey, this guy's a Jew. Let's kill them all. So he then has this uh, attitude that he wants to kill all the Jewish people in the kingdom and tries to draw up a plan to do that. So obviously, that is extremely upsetting. And uh, so Haman orders that gallows be constructed, and they're huge. They're 75 feet tall by uh, modern measurements. And um, he wants to hang Mordecai on the top of these gallows. Well, Mordecai uh, and Esther uh, intervene. They, had, they, they put together a plot to uh, expose Haman's evil plans. Uh, there's a big banquet, and uh, Esther... Uh, goes to the uh, king and exposes Haman's plan to massacre all the Jews. And then, of course, that means she has to bring her own ethnicity. I'm Jewish. And the king uh, was enraged at what Haman was going to do. And uh, so he orders that Haman be executed on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. And um, then he issues a big decree that any um, Jews left in his kingdom that have not gone back to Israel, the land of Israel, uh, that they have a right to protect themselves. They have a right to defend themselves. And he basically gives them a sovereignty within his kingdom for their own protection. Uh, and that's basically it. That's the book. Modern day Jews have turned this into an annual feast. They call it the Feast of Purim. Who remembers when Purim is? I forgot. Anybody remember? I think you're right. October? Yeah, it's kind of odd. Jewish people dress up in costumes. 
No, when? March. Not October, March, okay. Anyway, they, they dress up in costumes, and <laughs> they eat sweet things. It's like a party time. Uh, so uh, that's, that's what modern Judaism has done to it. It's not something uh, in, the, in the scriptures that's uh, commanded to be celebrated by the Jews. But modern Jews have done that. So Purim's a real big deal. Uh, so what I want to do tonight is looking at what we can learn here from Esther's bravery. Because what she did was a great act of bravery from the faith position she had. So right off the bat here, this is a woman of great faith and a woman of great bravery. And that we can all learn from. So if you're taking notes, uh, I think I have four points here. The first one is God prepared a place for his covenant woman. God prepared a place for his covenant woman. We see here, as we read this whole book, it's a really nice book to read. Um, Esther is used by God as a divine instrument to uh, save the Jewish people from annihilation. And of course, the whole point of it is so that the Messiah couldn't be born. This is a plot of the enemy, the evil one. Why? Because it's prophesied in Genesis that the Messiah is going to come and crush his head. He doesn't know who he is, so if I can get rid of the Jewish race, there is no Messiah. I'm fine. That's the real story behind here, spiritually. The Jewish people will give birth to the Messiah one day, and the evil one does not want that at all. So there's a demonic presence here behind all this, not just one vain person who is upset because you won't bow before me. He uses that person's sinfulness to to achieve what he wants to achieve, the evil one, to see the Jewish people annihilated. So um, here, then again, Esther becomes this divine instrument by the hand of God that he placed his covenant woman in a position to save the Jewish race. So God shows here uh, us that uh, he knows how to shape the history of his people if they will only stand in faith. So in our own days that we live in today, things are pretty goofy out there. I don't know if you've noticed. Our job is to stand in faith and trust God. And don't be moved by every news story from one day to another. Stand in faith and trust the Lord. Pray, intercede, absolutely. But he knows how to shape history. He has other Esthers out there, or male Esthers, whatever they would be, that he knows how to place them in certain places. So we have to always keep that in mind. So here we have Esther as a covenant woman that he found he could trust and who would totally rely on the Lord God. So, what we should do in Scripture is apply Scripture to our lives. When you read the book of Esther and get that point, it becomes an important question to us to ask ourselves hard questions. How many folks here know when you read the Word of God, you need to ask yourselves hard questions? They're not pleasant, but we need to. That causes growth. We need to ask the hard questions of life. And so we look at Esther here, God could trust her. So the question I have to ask myself is, can God trust me? And you don't know that till the pressure's on, how you respond. You just don't know that. Can God trust me? We like to think he can, but can he? That's a question that has to be constantly before me. And can God trust me to trust in him and him alone? It's very easy to trust in the body of Christ with you. It's very easy to trust in whatever position you might have in the body of Christ or of influence. It's very, it's very easy to trust in your ability, your education, your smarts, what the money you have, whatever. 
but none of that is trusting in God. And that's the easy stuff. And we have to wonder sometimes, the confidence we have, is it because of we're just impressed with ourselves? That's not what he's looking for. Who will trust in him and him alone when there is nothing else available? And then, of course, if we think we can say yes to that question, uh, that God can trust me, does my behavior show it? Do I live a life that's trustworthy? And that tends to be where the rubber meets the road. Because that's when we have to really judge ourselves rightly and start making changes in our lives where maybe we're not as trustworthy as we thought we were. So we need to ask ourselves hard questions when we read this. So Esther here also is a picture, a life picture of Christ. Jesus submitting to the Father for the deliverance of his people. Jesus did that for us at the cross, for us a deliverance we could not bring to ourselves, obviously. And Esther is a foreshadow of that. Her whole life is a picture of the devoted Christ that got it right, whom God could trust, uh, and show us the way to the Father. So those are biggies there. But the point is, he knows how to place his people. And God here uh, places his covenant woman in a place of great responsibility. Obviously something a man could not have done. All right, the second point here we want to look at is, he places his servant in the field he prepared for her. He places his servant in the field he prepared for her. Here God places Esther in the king's court. He places her in a place of influence. If she was just another fine Jewish lady in that day, she could never have accomplished this. Because of where she was, she's in a place of influence. That's why it's very important when you pray for your government that you pray that the Lord put uncompromising believers like Esther in the presence of the president, the White House, the Senate. And he does do that in ways that we would have no clue sometimes. He knows who he has out there. And we need to believe God for such people to be present. And you'd be surprised how many presidents, presidents in the past have looked to uh, a security uh, secret service for advice. This guy is a security guard, but yet they, they trusted this man or trusted this woman, and they looked to them to advice. There are true stories of presidents that have looked to household servants that served in the White House to get their opinion. Wow. That makes them people of influence, not of education, not of smarts, but influenced by the character in their life that other people have noticed, and they look to them for guidance. So, hey, who knows where God has placed people? Uh, but that, that's the key there, um, that she was placed in a uh, position of influence. Uh, notice here, she didn't get called to Africa. She didn't get called to South America. She didn't get called to Asia. No, God used her right where she was at. And she knew exactly where her place was. That speaks volumes to us because a lot of folks are waiting for God to use them to send them somewhere. And where are they currently at is really the question. And they tend to grossly overlook it. And the Lord's church over the decades is the fault for that by giving people no importance in how they serve the Lord where they're already at. The Lord's church is at fault for that over the years. Um, does anybody here know who Nikki Cruz is? A few. Yeah, Nikki Cruz was a gang leader. Was it, was it Spanish Harlem? Had to be Spanish Harlem. 
uh, in the early 60s, David Wilkinson, uh, a pastor, was sent there from Pennsylvania to lead this guy to Christ. I mean, Nicky Cruz wanted to kill him. And it was amazing. Uh, in fact, Nicky Cruz uh, ministered in our church one time. He was here once, many years back. Uh, the point is, this guy's a gang leader. And God knew exactly where he was at to send the person to him who needed to be uh, sent to and change the man's life. I mean, Cruz was going to cut David Wilkinson up with a knife. And David Wilkinson looked at him and said, and every piece that falls will forgive you and love you. He drops the knife. Nobody talks like that. Amazing. Amazing story. Anyway, so the point is, where he was at, he didn't then say, well, I'm a believer now. Let's go to Springfield, uh, Missouri. No. He stayed right where he was at in New York City and led other people to Christ and became a great influence among the gangs there. What happened to this man? And his life now was a testimony to them. And, of course, you know, Nikki over the years had had a lot of success with speaking to young people in inner cities, et cetera, et cetera, with his testimony. Had a whole full-blown ministry because of that. But he was used, my point is, as, as a modern-day example, just where he's at. Which brings us to a point here. Uh, it, it's a, also a picture of marketplace ministry. We have seven mountains that make up the culture of a society. Uh, if you want to write these down, you don't have to. One is called the religion mountain. One is called the education mountain. One is called the mountain of media. People are writing. One is called the business mountain. One is called the mountain of government. I'll say it again. The mountain of family and the mountain of entertainment, arts and entertainment. I'll say them again. The mountain of religion, the education mountain, the media mountain, the mountain of publicity, marketing, media, business mountain, government, family. How about that? and arts and entertainment. And the, all these mountains are the same height, and there's one big mountain right over it that's called the kingdom of God. And here's the problem the church has had, as I said before here. You have people that serve the Lord well, and they work and they live on the business mountain. And the church gives them absolutely no validity whatsoever. Well, that's nice. You're saved now. What are you going to do for the Lord? You could be an usher in our church. You could help uh, direct traffic in the parking lot. The guy's on the business mountain. Why don't you have him and teach him how to influence people on the business mountain for the Lord? Wouldn't that be a logical conclusion? He's going to serve where he already is. Why are you trying to pull him off a mountain and put him on another one, the religion mountain, because the religion mountain wants to take over everybody, that's not the plan of God. God wants you to serve where you're at. There's a lady in China. I have no idea who she is. She's a Chinese singer, and she is, in, she is on the arts and entertainment mountain. She's extremely um, popular in China, and she's a born-again believer that nobody knows about. And when she makes money, she supports underground churches in China. She could not do that unless she earned the money where she's at on the arts entertainment mountain. And only God knows, what a lot of the church now knows, but her name is not mentioned. Wow, the church would have pulled her off that mountain. Well, that's not a very 
uh, uh, spiritual thing to do. Come to the religion mountain to serve the Lord. Mistake. God has her on that mountain. He placed her on that mountain. Let her influence for the kingdom of God where she's at. You know, so many Christians today won't vote because it's not a spiritual thing to do. My gosh, the foolishness. You need to vote. Why? Because you need to influence your country for righteousness' sake. Thank God we have people running for office who are believers. Right here where we live, there's, oh, I live in Manchester. Someone who was raised here in this church is now running for mayor. Yay. Yay. Somebody who uh, the Lord uh, knows here, uh, the Lord, Lord knows him. Yeah, Lord knows him. We all know here. Uh, he's now running for congressman in one of the districts here. He's a, a, a born-again believer. He's not part of Grace and Peace, but he's a, a, a minister of the gospel, an educator that is in the area. Praise God. And my point is God will put people on, let God put people on those mountains. You don't necessarily uh, pull them off the mountain that God has sent them to. That the, how about the family mountain? What is wrong with being on the family mountain? I've done many funerals, and we do a, sometimes you want to talk about a eulogy, speaking in praise of their life, their life story, and it's amazing the people that say, well, she was just a mom and a grandma. That's really all she did. Hey, let's, try, let's, let's rejoice over that. She's on the family mountain. She has validity. One time I had done a whole teaching on this. We had a brother in the Lord from the church. He's not here now. And I was talking to people at the seminar I was doing. What mountain are you, do you think you're on? And he put his hand up, family mountain. He, what, what was he in life? He was a grandpa and a dad. And all of a sudden, you can see the look on his face. I have importance as a father and a grandfather. So you certainly do. You're shaping future generations. Yes, you do. You have great validity. And all those years, as a believer, he, had the, he, had, he was kind of like got the impression, what you do doesn't really matter because it's not on the church mountain, not on the religious mountain. It has extreme validity. So uh, we can talk about this a great deal, but um, we need to pray for people on these mountains, that they would be encouraged in the Lord, trained up in the Lord, and go conquer those mountains as a believer for the kingdom of God. And have the church stop telling them what you do isn't spiritual. The Lord's not really in that. What are you going to do for the Lord's church? They're already doing it. Don't be so blind. Can't you see that? They should be encouraged for what they do. So here, that's the concept here of Esther. You know, I guess every good little rabbi back then would have said, she's marrying a heathen king. What good is this? God put her there to influence and save an entire race of people. So it speaks to us a great deal that God prepares his servant in the field that he's prepared, in this case, for Esther. So if you're out there in the world, in the marketplace of life, you need to look at yourself, first of all, as it says in Corinthians, you are ministers of reconciliation. You could put a business card together and say, minister of reconciliation. Don't do that, but a lot of people, though, believe it or not, out there actually do that. You are. And you are a minister on the mountain where God has placed you. Wherever that is that we mentioned here, you're God's representative on that mountain. When you go to work, you're God's representative that walked into that room, walked into that office. Or wherever you do, wherever you go. Um, and our task is to conquer for the Lord where he's placed us. To take that mountain 
where we have influence. If you're not in government, you don't have any influence over the government mountain. You can vote, but that's about it. But if you're on the government mountain, you have influence, without a doubt. And uh, it's very important that we don't tell the Lord, well, where I'm at really doesn't really matter. I'm waiting for my ministry to get started. You already have it wherever you're at. Um, too many people are looking for greener grass. And sometimes there is no grass out there at all. Uh, so never try to place yourself somewhere where God has not placed you. Because you're not going to find success. You're only going to find frustration and no anointing to do what you're trying to do. Where God has placed you, thank God you're there. It could be for a season, but thank God you're there where you're at. You are God's minister on the spot. So, well, I'm retired. Great. You live in a retirement village? If you do, you have a mission field. Because they're dying, you have a mission field. All right, our third point here. He places his servant in the field that he's prepared for her. Number three here, God was in control of the deliverance of his people. And he did that through the wisdom and courage he gave to Esther and Mordecai. Say it again. That was a lot. God is in control of the deliverance of his people through the wisdom and courage that he gave Esther and Mordecai. Obviously, when you look at the story of Queen Esther, there's a lot of wisdom there and a lot of courage there. The wisdom came, and encouragement came through Mordecai to her. That speaks so much to us already. Because we need one another to encourage us. We need encouragers. You need to be encouraging other people. Instead of telling them, well, they're, well you're not quite doing it great. They're doing it just fine. Get out of their way and get out of God's way. Encourage them. No one's ever going to do it perfect. Thank God they're doing what they're doing. Encourage. Well, why are you giving that track out? I would use a different one. Who cares what you would use? They're the one handing the track out. Let them choose the track they want. Encourage people. Okay, so here we have God supernaturally takes this Jewish girl and he places her in royalty. She's not even Persian. He places her in royalty and then he doesn't abandon her, if you notice that. She has this cousin Mordecai, who's more like an uncle, to coach her. Okay, so Mordecai here is also a picture of the Holy Spirit in this book. There's an allegory there where he's a picture of Holy Spirit to guide us. And I'll make a side comment here. Uh, Pastor Walt did an excellent series back in the 1980s. I think it was like 86. It was called, it was, it, it, it was about the book of Esther. But he used the analogy of this being a spiritual book with pictures where uh, Queen Vasti represents the old nature that doesn't want to know Christ as its savior. Esther represents the new nature. And Mordecai, picture of the Holy Spirit, counseling us and having us grow in courage and wisdom and faith. I think he took the series from a book from the 1960s called The Queen and I, which you can probably still find on Amazon somewhere. Um, unfortunately, the tape series he did is on cassette tape, and I don't think we do cassettes anymore. So we have to have that transferred to CD. But if we ever, we ever do that, I think it's a six-tape series, very good series to listen to, uh, approaching um, Esther from an uh, allegorical viewpoint uh, we, we do that in Bible school here briefly, uh, but we can't go in great detail. But it's an excellent picture to see what God is doing behind the scenes in our lives by the people he brings our way. So anyway, Mordecai here is a picture of Holy Spirit as a guide here. And Holy Spirit here through Mordecai is going to stir her up in faith 
and greatly encourage her. She's greatly encouraged through Mordecai. She couldn't do what she did unless Mordecai had been there to encourage her, right? What's was one of the sayings of the army, all that you can be, or be all that you can be, join the army? Yeah, uh, they, they, they make you into that. Likewise, you know, we can't do this apart from Holy Spirit. Whatever we're doing and getting right, Holy Spirit is our teacher, every one of us here, our counselor, our encourager, showing us the way all the time. Holy Spirit talks to you every day. Don't tune him out. He's very gentle. And uh, we need to be learning from Holy Spirit how to get this done correctly. So like Mordecai here uh, that encourages Esther, Holy Spirit is there for you and I to get it right every day. Because a lot of times if you're, if you're normal, I don't know what to do. That's okay. You have Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. He'll point it out to you. He'll give you the bright idea and the light bulb goes off. I'll do that. And other people will try to talk you out of it, but do what Holy Spirit is telling you to do. So here we have um, Esther, and she exhibits great bravery. because, And the bravery is that she's going to go into the king's presence uninvited. Even though she's the queen, this is the king, and this is B.C., and you don't walk in the king's presence unless you're allowed to or been given permission to, or you could be killed. So here we have Esther, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Uh, Mordecai sends a message. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Oh, he sent a message, I'm sorry. Do not imagine, he's telling Esther, that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. That's very positive. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. That is one of the most classic Old Testament scriptures. Who knows but where you're at right now is hasn't been because of a time like this that you've been placed here. Just when you think, why am I in this dead-end job? Why am I here? Why am I there? How do you know that you weren't placed there for such a time as this? For an influence that you could never have imagined that you would have. Maybe to turn somebody's life around that you never thought you would do that. And sometimes you don't even say a word, but just watching you, they make decisions for Christ. It's happened to me. People have told me over the years, and I'd be like, huh, I didn't do anything. No, I didn't. Holy Spirit did it. I was just there at the time. I remember one time I had worked in a factory years ago. I was a production supervisor, and this one guy there was really strange. He used to make animal noises on, on where he worked on, on the site. Turns out he was a very backslidden Christian who wasn't walking with God. And I hardly said anything to him at all, and his whole life was changed. I don't know what I did. I couldn't tell you. He ended up going to church. It turns out he was a musician. He got involved in the music ministry, found a wife, got married. I mean, he had a total different life change. Hard to believe this was the same person. And because of me, I didn't do anything. I don't even get it, what he saw. But his life was changed. How, you know, I don't even know where he's at today, but wow, what is in his life now that may touch other people's lives if I just wasn't there? For such a time as this, you just don't know what can happen. 
Okay, verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, verse 16. Go assemble all the Jews that are found in Susa and fast for me. And do not eat or drink for three days and nights. And I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king. Now she's already made a choice that she's going to walk in the king's presence uninvited. And she goes on, which is not according to the law. And again, one of the most powerful statements in the, in the Old Testament. And if I perish, I perish. That is a statement of integrity. I don't see any men talking like that. That is a statement of integrity. Wow. And if I don't make it, then I don't make it. But I'm doing it anyway. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That reminds me of a story um, about uh, integrity. Uh, there was this gentleman, Bob Mumford, a very popular Bible teacher, 1970s, 60s. I'm assuming Bob was part of a denomination. I don't know. But those uh, who were the head of the church group he belonged to wanted him to make decisions who was allowed to go on the mission field or not. So I guess they were going through the denomination. Uh, they were probably all young people. He did not like that job. He didn't want it. They said, oh, Bob, no, 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 no. You, you, you're, you're really the person we're looking for. I don't want this job. He finally did it. And he hated having to do this. I don't want to make a decision who goes and doesn't go on the mission field. So finally, he figured something out. And if somebody, and of course, they had to come to him for a final interview to be approved. So if somebody came to him and, and he, he only asked him one question, what if we say no? And if they said, well, then I'll receive that as from the Lord, or, well, I don't have to go back into prayer over this then. Well, I don't know, maybe I'm not called to do this then. Uh, I have to, I'm still learning. His answer then was, they're not called on the mission field. Nope, they're not. If I can talk you out of it, you're not. The only acceptable answer in so many words was, if I don't go, I'll die. Bob's point, you're called. <laughs> you're called. We can only notice it. Goodbye. Have a good time. We'll pray for you. Send you money. If I don't go, I'll die. That's the only proper answer. I'm called. If I don't go, I'll die. I have no purpose to live. They're called. A burden can carry you, but just so far, till the heat goes on. A calling you'll die for. You will never walk away from a calling because it drives you. With purpose, it puts salt in your shaker and you know why you exist this side of heaven. A calling you'll die for. And Mumford recognized it. This is what Esther did. If I perish, I perish. There was a call and mandate from heaven and she knew it. And somehow at this point, obviously from all this prayer she just got, the light bulb went on. Hey, I'm called for this hour. God put me here for this purpose. I'm doing this, and I'm expecting his favor to be there, or I'll just, I'll just leave this world, and that's okay by me. Wow. Wow. So and then we see, from all this, Esther finds favor with King Ahasuerus. Chapter 5 here, Esther doesn't die. And we see the scepter of the king's grace is extended to her. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's rooms, and the king was sitting on his royal throne in the, royal, in the throne room, 
opposite the entrance to the palace. And it happened when the, the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. This is a supernatural favor from heaven telling him to favor that woman. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, like a, looks almost like a club, and pointed it towards her, which was in his hands. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. Whoa, hope this guy's not just talking. Wow. So this is a picture for us as well. We have found, because of Jesus, favor with Almighty God. You've got to know that. You already have favor with Almighty God because of Jesus. God's already extended that scepter of grace to you and to me to come boldly to his throne. Notice the King uh, Hashuera's concept here. She has to, she's walking in boldly with respect to his throne to bring our requests. I don't know if I gave the scripture for this, but it's uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and may find grace in time of help. We find uh, the mercy of God when we open up our mouths and say, Father God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. The scepter's pointing to us right now. Just like that. There's nothing you did to deserve it or to make it happen because Jesus did it for you. we got to get that because a lot of us pray, I hope God hears me. I don't know if he likes me today. That is not coming in faith. And we've all been there. Because of Jesus, I can enter boldly, not by anything I could do, but because of Jesus, I now can enter boldly. But that, that's volumes, man. That's volumes. Uh, I just saw a quote from Corey Temboon, and I don't remember it exactly. It's something like, prayer is a wonderful opportunity because once we enter it, we enter into, uh, we are helpless to do things, I'm paraphrasing, but when we enter into prayer, we now meet the God who can do endless possibilities, is now available to us. That's this concept here. Now, in... Um, the King James, it says, let's uh, draw near with confidence, draw boldly. Uh, New American Standard is confidence. The King James, let us enter boldly. Man, that's heavy stuff. Boldly in his presence to find help in time of need. That's the picture we have to have inside of us when we pray. I don't know if God wants to hear me today. Boldly in his presence, but I sinned. Blood of Jesus cleanses you from all, all unrighteousness. Declare it. You know, your sin is none of the enemy's business. God's grace is your business. And if he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future, which is the lake of fire. That's not your future. Amen. Hey, side comment here, uh, because I can do it. Side comment, we used to have this really big glass pulpit here. It's, it's around somewhere. And in the front of the glass pulpit, is our logo. And the church logo is a special logo. I was there. It was 1984 or 85. It was before the church officially became Grace and Peace. Uh, we were at the Healy House, and Pastor Walt was sitting in the prayer meeting. And he, I don't know if he 
heard the Lord say open up to it or he just opened his Bible. He opened up to the book of Esther. And he's looking at it. And this right here about the scepter, the golden scepter extended. And he's looking at this. And Maureen has her eyes closed. She has no idea what he's looking at. Doesn't even know his Bible's open. And she starts prophesying. Behold, or something like, uh, behold, I place before you a golden scepter. And Walt's head goes up and goes, whoa. I mean, here you have Spirit of God confirming what's written. She had no idea he was there. He had no idea she was going to open up her mouth and prophesy. And proof of a real prophetic word being released. I mean, Walton was like, you almost got to grab the chair here. Was he going to jump up or fall off? He was really stunned at what just happened. Anyway, that became very special as a calling to the Lord for the Church of Grace and Peace. Uh, if you've seen our logo, it's a golden scepter with a little cross at the top. And there is a, um, a long lines coming out to make it look like a cross with the Holy Spirit superimposed over it, which is, speaks exactly to what this scripture is about in New Testament terms. In fact, it was drawn by um, Karen Peterson. Karen is an immense artist, uh, immense abilities, and she interpreted what she saw in this little logo, and I was like, whoa, you hear God. I mean, this is impressive. And that became the logo of the Church of Grace and Peace. It, it's a statement where here we find the grace of God extended to us through the cross of Christ with the Holy Spirit as our guide. Under the Holy Spirit. Well, that, that was free. I just thought I'd want to mention that because I could do it. Praise God. Um, I have to put that in front here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so here um, we learn this from Esther here in chapter 5, that concept from Hebrews chapter 4. We can enter his throne room boldly. Boy, we got to get that. You don't have to beg God in prayer. You don't have to whine and cry and spit and, and tear up and gra grab the tissues. That's not going to move God. He's moved by faith already. He wants to hear you. He's looking. Oh, they're talking. They're talking to me. They're talking to me. Yes, he's listening. Why? Because you're coming in the name of Jesus. The scepter's already extended. You don't have to talk them into it. How with the Corey Tamboon concept, what is now possible in the realm of God's greatness. That's why we need to pray for other people. That's why we need to pray for the will of God. That's why that our Father, that your will be done here on this earth and it's already being done in heaven. Amen. Okay, so here, chapter 7 now. She finds favor because of this to save the Jews. Chapter 7 here. Verses 2 and 3. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, they drank wine at the banquet. What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. As you and what is your request? Even half of the kingdom, it shall be done for you. Verse 3. And Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight. Of course, the scepter got extended. O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and as my people as my request. Now, this is the prayer of intercession here. This is an intercessory prayer that, that's happening. Speaking a word on behalf of someone else. Whenever we pray for someone else, we're speaking a word of intercession on their behalf. Chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. She again finds favor to save the Jews. Verse 4. And the king extended the golden scepter to Esther. And Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I found favor before him, 
and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamanatha, the Agadite, who wrote them to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. Now she brings her request to save the Jewish race. And the favor of God is already there. And the fourth point I have here, uh, of course the king, we're going we're to get there, the king uh, uh, grants that request. The Jews are not destroyed. Mordecai is not destroyed. And number four here, the, the point is, those who tried to thwart God's plan for Esther found themselves thwarted by the means they devised. Those who tried to, to thwart his plan for Esther found themselves thwarted by the means they devised. Chapter 7 here, verses 7 to 10. And the king arose in anger from drinking the wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now the king returned from the palace garden into the palace where they had been drinking wine, and Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will you even assault the queen with me in the house? And the word went out for the king's mouth, and they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the eunuchs who, brought him, who, who were brought before the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, 75 feet which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, hang, hang him. He's from the south now. Hang him on that. And verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. I don't know if you were here when I did the book of Daniel. And uh, Daniel was saved in the lion's den. And then they threw all the bad guys who accused Daniel into the den that the lion tore them up. And I read Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8. Once again here, the righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. Praise God. Praise God. So here in um, drawing a conclusion here tonight, it's really just very simple. Uh, we looked at the four points here that I just gave you. Uh, so Esther, I'll say this again, Esther undoubtedly had courage and favor with others. All was given to her by God due to the faith that she had in God first. So Esther had courage and favor with others because she herself stepped out in faith, stepped out in courage. This speaks to us. What will we do when that comes? Don't know when that could happen. What will we do? You know, um, and because of that, of her faith, she had put God first, and the Lord granted her this favor. You know, I've said it before, if I was put on trial for being a Christian, would they find enough evidence to, to find me guilty? Don't know. That's a hard question. It's a hard question. We need to be men and women of courage first in our hearts that we've made that decision long before we're ever faced with such a trial. We need to make decisions already to be men and women of courage and faith and then let God find those that he can trust to put them in such places. And we don't know what that would be like in the future. We don't know what that would be like in the days ahead. We're clueless. 
Uh, there was something one time uh, by the evangelist Steve Hill, who went home to be with the Lord. Um, he had it was a totally different type of, of, of a sermon where that the enemy has a way to make you walk away from the Lord, but it's secret, and you won't know until the time comes to your challenge with it. He was an evangelist. Uh, but, you know, we can turn this around where the Lord has a place for us to be placed, but it's secret. We don't know what and when that would be. It's secret till it's revealed. But our job here and now is to be men and women of integrity already by decision in our hearts that uh, we will walk and make decisions as men and women of integrity. So as you're sitting there in your seats, how about we just bow our, our, our heads here for a minute and um, sort of a different question that goes back to earlier, what I looked at, uh, regarding um, you. Where has God placed you? What mountain are you on? Are you on the mountain of family? Are you on the mountain of the religious mountain? The mountain of business? The mountain of uh, arts and entertainment? Education? What mountain are you on? Where are you now? What mountain has God placed you on? And I would encourage you as you find that answer in your heart to seek the Lord, how will he use you on that mountain? Surely he can move you from one mountain to another. Doesn't usually happen that way, but he certainly can. But where are you at right now? And... How would the Lord use you on that mountain in seeking the Lord? Um, some people are in the medical field. That's easily the mountain of business. Um, all science is on the mountain of business. It also is on the, uh, it's on the mountain of education. So there's different areas here that are like sub-areas, but they're on a larger mountain. Uh, where has God placed you? Where has God placed you? Are you his Esther? Are you his Esther? For such a time as this, you don't know when it would be that God would use you for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Father God, as my brothers and sisters, Lord, ponder such thoughts, such questions, Lord God, I know you're abundant, Father, in how you give answers. Father, God, I ask you to lead and guide my brothers and sisters in Christ here in these days ahead. That, Father, not only would they realize the mountain they're on, but how you would use them on that mountain, Father. But that they would bear much fruit in the kingdom of God. Much fruit, Lord, to honor you. Much fruit, Father God, that would be left behind, Father, long after we're gone, that would still affect other people's lives. We thank you for this, Father God. For such a time as this, you have placed us. And we are honored, Lord God, to co-labor in your field. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. For the great things you're going to do in these days ahead that are still secret to us now. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.